Hello, and welcome back to fuck. <coughs> welcome back to Inside the GM Studio podcast, all about the tabletop RPG hobby, mostly centered for the game master. But the players, come on in. You brought us some emails this week. We love you. Come in and talk. I'm your host, Matt. I am David. Uh, and not a lot of playing this week. So Ooh. I know out of the three games that I'm in at the moment, well, four, I guess. I, we had nothing. I got nothing to talk about at all. It goes that way somewhere. Them's the ropes, man. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, but we did get a couple emails from a couple of you out there, like Ryan. Ryan coming back. Ryan's emailed us a few other times, and he wants to know. So uh, he was talk. We were talking about, uh, you know, last week we were talking about getting out of uh, taking the characters out of the moment and all that stuff. He said, well, what about the big bad guy's monologue uh, while the characters have to stand and wait? Should I give them an opportunity to just rush and kill him before he can finish speaking? <laughs> uh, that's kind of a trope, right? And it's typically what is called a soliloquy mm-hmm. or it's exposition man it's one or the other so far be it for me to tell anybody how to run their game but as a general rule i suspect that if you're feeling a need to do that have the big bad have some sort of soliloquy which is where the bad guy is effectively talking to themselves right this is a shakespearean term Mm -hmm. it's like it happens all the time because In plays, you often can't get characters' inner monologue and you're not historically close enough to them to be able to kind of read their face and stuff. So they do what's called soliloquy, where they talk to themselves, Mm -hmm. not meant for anyone else to really hear. Yeah, I think it started in Hamlet. It It was Hamlet that started it all? Yeah, it's the most notorious example, but it happens in Macbeth Mm. and a couple of other uh, notable Shakespearean works. Or you're doing what's called Exposition Man, which is explaining exposition man is somebody who gives spoon feeds the players the entire plot and i would posit that there's no need for either if you get to a certain terminus where you're fighting a big bad and you've laid enough clues and understanding for the players to know why the villain is doing what they're doing and also for uh, the the operationally for the purposes of the game what is happening if you want to throw a few initial jabs in there like verbal um, taunts and stuff I think that's fine but a big monologue is hardly ever necessary it's done in movies and, and stuff like that and in video games to provide context to the plot and you shouldn't need to do that you should have ample runway to be able to do that and i would posit that if your players why are the players frozen in place just as long as the uh villainous yeah that's what i was gonna say are they strapped to a table are they chained up it doesn't it kind of breaks the world a little bit and so it does take them out of the moment if there's essential information in there then it, it should have been dispersed earlier in some other way, perhaps with some other encounter when maybe the PCs weren't in a position to engage. But 
it, this goes back to our discussion about hateable villains and likable villains. I think likable villains are less likely to do mm -hmm. that because they don't really have time to, they're less cartoonish. And so if it works for your game and it, and you, it builds some sort of drama and tension for your players and it's more uh, expositional or, or gives the, uh, gives texture to the encounter. That's great. But I would posit that the, the drama and the gravity of the encounter should exist already before the encounter and the encounter should get about the business of the encounter so that the catharsis of the defeat of the villain can happen and that's not to say there can't be any dialogue or anything but players know they're coming into a fight you should have them roll initiative and you know save the the quipping or whatever for when it's the villain's turn or even off turn there's no reason that he can't be discussing things during the action, which would liven it up instead of having this segmented off like, well, this is the part where you just kind of sit and listen, and then then there'll be a fight. That's more in line with a video game, and if that's how you want to run things, because you're hearkening back to kind of a more campy um, style of, of game where you like those, those tropes, and it's uh, a send-up of that, and uh, you're you're doing it because your players expect it, and you know that they would probably be displeased if they didn't get that. Well, we like fought the bad guy, and he didn't even explain what he was doing. It's not very satisfying, and even if they don't say that, you might have a sense about that. Then by all means, do it. But beyond that, I don't see the function of it beyond your sensibilities. It if you're telling a story properly, there should be no need for exposition, man, which is. At, like me saying to Matt at the beginning of the podcast, well, as you know, Matt, we do this podcast every week about, uh, you know, what it's like to be a GM. And you and I have been, uh, you know, friends now for 25 <laughs> years and gaming. Like, it's like Matt already knows mm -hmm. all that. Like he, he lived it with me. I don't, if I'm saying it, it's just for the benefit of the audience. Mm -hmm. And there is no audience in the game other than the players who should have experienced everything all along the way up there when that's done it's typically for the benefit of the audience and because it's a video game or it's a whatever and there might be things going on that they're unaware of but try to find some other clever ways to reveal the machinations and sensibilities of the villain and i would posit that it would be more rewarding but if your world isn't that kind of world where you want to have it all fleshed out you're just like okay this is the big evil plan and uh, I don't want the players to have to go like poking at a bunch of stuff. It's maybe a little more railroaded because your players don't have a sense of uh, curiosity and don't want to explore and investigate or problem solve, but they still do appreciate a um, maybe like an anime style role-playing mm -hmm. game. And by all means include it, but uh, I don't know your game and I don't know what your sensibilities are, but I would never do that. But, I probably run a very different type of game. What about you? Do you do the soliloquy exposition? Man, I've done it a couple times just in like uh, one shots where, like you said, it was super campy or it was very, you know, it was very humor uh, driven. So of course mm -hmm. at the, at the time being finally the bad guy gives the solo soliloquy at the end. And it's actually completely opposite of what the players thought it was going to be. And that was supposed <laughs> to be the, you know that was the joke of it all it was just like oh we thought you were doing this and he's like 
oh no that's just evil and you know that sort of thing <laughs> so yeah there's i do it for like humorous <laughs> reasons but if it's like a long-term campaign i've never no i've never even done uh where the bad guy says like there's not a lot of vocal actions in combat usually Speech. for me especially unless it's just the party talking to each other they're i mean so i guess i'll say this if the first time the pcs are in any way interacting with the ideas that the villain is espousing in this end confrontation prelude that's probably not ideal mm -hmm. um a big bad that has the capabilities of speech should be felt at a variety of intervals throughout an adventure or a campaign uh they should either reoccur where they have some sort of light contact with them or light contact with some sort of lieutenant or emissary of mm -hmm. theirs where maybe that's the you know that's a trope it's a the mastermind and then they have like a boots on the ground yeah, guy number one the boots on the ground guy the boots on the ground guys should be enacting the mastermind's plan. And in which case, if they've had a variety of counters with the Lieutenant or whatever, maybe there is a little bit of dialogue here or there. They interrupt something that he's doing or she is doing. So they should have some insight into the way the main villain feels about things already. The only exception to that would be if the big bad is some um, non-sentient creature, right? If it's a dragon that, that, uh, you know doesn't talk much or doesn't have some master plan is just wrecking havoc or it's a sea monster or it's a something like that like a big monster then yeah don't show jaws in the first reel of film you want to wait and build up that tension but if this is some sort of um plot that's being enacted the players should already be aware of how the villain feels and then he should just be putting like an exclamation point with the things that he says during the encounter on it as a way to taunt them not as a way to explain to them how they got to where they are if this is the terminus they've arrived at this point then they should have known why they were going to encounter the big bad and if they don't then they likely don't care they likely just like oh it's a bad guy i'm gonna go get the bad guy and i don't really need to know the whole context of the plot it often just comes off a little masturbatory and like you're just trying to hey this is what's been going on and the players are like okay cool can we roll initiative yeah I'm fuck this yeah guy up. i'm all, but so try leaving some breadcrumbs along the way to probably be a little uh better enacted unless we're going for that kind of campy you know anime style game then then it works and and your players expect it because they watch a lot of anime yeah. or they play a lot of video games or whatever so Speaking of video games, uh, so me and the guys that I play with on Monday, uh, we've been talking a lot about Baldur's Gate 3, and I'm waiting for the I price mean, to come down, because I do want to play it now, especially from everything that I've seen. I've seen a lot of videos and a lot of people talking about it, and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the news is already saying, just like, if it wasn't for the 5th edition mechanics, this game wouldn't be as good as it is. And I thought that was really weird, because the story is super is supposed supposedly super fucking good. Uh and there are multiple uh, different um, variations of things that you say, depending on how you roll and how what ch you choose to say to some NPCs or even how you show up. Uh, I saw this one before. They posted all the things that happen. 
if your character shows up because you can you and your your character and your party you can make them all completely naked and just walk around everywhere uh so there's one where it says this is what happens if you walk into this camp naked and one of them you know one of them is just like this is a you know you're playing a male and you have all these other party members it was just like that is a magnificent looking cock sir is like one of the actual <laughs> like things that comes up that they say to you as well as if you're a woman and you show up just say uh you just hear whisperings of people saying why is that woman naked why is that man why are they all naked and i found that <laughs> it's actually kind of cool the stuff that they put in there for little shit like that so it's got me intrigued of uh what the rest of the story is because i haven't watched any other videos of the actual story or a lot of the gameplay just a little bit here and there and one of our players has been playing it and it's everybody's been talking about it. i'm waiting like if i i, I have an xbox so i would prefer to play it on a console i'm not much of a computer gamer mm -hmm. i just i can never get the mouse thing like i just i don't know why. yeah i just have no interest in and it has already come down in price a little bit they went from 70 dollars to 60 dollars whatever but it's still like eh. I don't know if I want to spend that much money on another game right now as I got tons of other games that I'm trying to play. Yeah, I don't have any, so maybe I might endeavor to buy it when it, if it comes like the end of the year, if it comes out on Xbox, then I might, yeah, it should. I might check it out. All right, let's get into a community question, shall we? Sure. Oh, I thought you said we had two emails. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's let's wait for that for next week. Oh. Let's save that. Twelve. Twelve. All right, this one comes from awkward underscore GM on Reddit. <laughs> okay. uh, what are adjustments you've made to systems because the raw or rules as written wasn't working? What are the, uh, yeah, okay, so he repeats himself. I asked this on our D&D for 5e, but it got downvoted to oblivion. I asked because when I played previous editions of games like D&D 3.5 and 4, we did a lot to change how the system worked to get in to do what we thought was better. Right now, I'm running Chronicles of Darkness, but have stripped out several systems for, for being overly complex. Social maneuvering takes too long. Clue system takes too long. Extended actions takes too long. NPC creation takes too long. In... Uh, in all, what do you do to help strip down your system to make this all work for you? We don't really have this problem because we play D&D &D and it's more of a simplified version. Mm. Uh, typically, the issue comes up when you're trying to have a mechanic for everything and then they just kind of get overwrought. I guess as a generic answer, the response would be, start with what you think is overwrought and distill it down to the intent and the importance in your game. And then you will arrive at some sort of more simplified version. It, it sounds like if the mechanics aren't suiting your um, game then maybe you just need to consider another system yeah. one that's not so complicated yeah that's what i was gonna say because that's what i've already done i've already gone from shit let's see we've now i've now gone down three systems to one where it's so bare bones and still has enough mechanical flair in it that i that i enjoy it but it's still just like these here are saying you know when all this shit is so complex what do you do 
because uh you know here i'll throw one at you dave so say we are in a town and you have to make an npc that for some reason let's just come up you know we can come up with anything that we make it that this npc is going to be reoccurring and you need to make a stat block for them uh but you want to get them in and going right away what do you do to make an npc on the fly like if you needed a stat stat block on the fly I typically wouldn't worry so much about a stat block. That would be something I would fill in on the back end. If I knew this was going to be a recurring NPC, I would simply ask myself what the PCs know about the character and where their strengths and weaknesses would likely lie. Okay. The, so, you know, you meet some guy and he becomes a recurring NPC and they know that he is very suave. So you go, okay, he probably has a fairly good charisma. And based on how I've described him, he's kind of lean and tall and, uh, so he's not going to be super strong, but probably decent dexterity and and maybe like moderate charisma. Then you kind of start to arrive at just what you think of in those terms. Bad score would be something like eight or nine, average 10, 11, above average 12, 13, maybe 14, 16 or better. You know, how, how exemplary are they? You run with those operational things mm-hmm. for the time being the PCs shouldn't be too reliant on an NPC for a mechanical advantage. So or mechanical things. So they should just be there as support and you should only need to kind of discern what their stats are in a vague ballpark. He's pretty deft. Mm -hmm. He's pretty smart. He's likely trained in history and you just make notes of them as you go along and then build a concrete stack block and the, on the back end. But if you're using a system that's overly complicated in a variety of different ways that it's not suiting your game, go a click down in complexity. That's usually only a problem for people that are like power gamers mm-hmm. and have a lot of experience and actually want that degree of complexity. If you're using a system that doesn't suit that, you can still have the same the same world, the same story, the same genre with a different system. There, Whatever you're playing, there is some other system of rules that isn't as overwrought as the one that you're using that you could just maintain the whole narrative and nothing gets disruptive except the mechanics. Switch to something else if you don't like that degree of sophistication don't downgrade so far where it's overly simplistic i find icrpg a little simplistic for my taste and you can build complexity from the things that are simplistic that's what i do with D when i find that some of the mechanics are overly flat and i want to build a little sophistication for them i just fill it in as i go to toward the desired result and then what are some ways in which I can troubleshoot it? But if it's so just a bare skeleton of simplicity, then you'll have the problem of you're going to be constantly upgrading things to sophistication. And that gives a little too much latitude to the GM and the players are kind of confused as to what they can and can't mm-hmm. do. Ironically, a really simplistic system actually really requires very experienced players yeah. to play it because they otherwise uh, a really low level player an experienced player will not know what to do because they just like, I don't know how to, I don't, what am I supposed to do? And you try to tell them you can do whatever you want. And it's like, but I don't know how any of it works. And he's like, well, it works in the way that I say that it works. And they're just like, ah, I don't know. It makes them more apprehensive 
players get a little experience and they have understanding of how mechanics work, then they revel in the freedom of having those those rules relaxed a little mm-hmm. bit. And some players want to climb up that ladder of sophistication to where they're really able to process really complex rules and they actually like that those rules are complex because it's it's more about the mechanics of the game than the story of the game sounds like you're trying to emphasize certain aspects of a story and maybe social encounters or skill challenges or whatever other thing he listed are overwrought and they're not relevant to your campaign or you want to include them but you don't want them to be as as labor intensive as they are in which case just try a different system that has a little more free-flowing thing for those mechanics yeah that's why i always say jump in and do a one shot here and there you don't have to run it for your group but you can find some places on discord and whatnot and there's a lot of uh groups that are willing to just come in and teach you for that one day and when you play these different systems you get to learn these different rules and different things that you can do that i've used plenty of times and brought it over to a DD game and it works fantastic Hell, I brought that's a great point. Yeah, I brought the skill challenges over from fourth edition just because I loved them. And then uh yeah. Savage Worlds did the um I can't remember what they're called. Dramatic dramatic tasks. tasks. Dramatic tasks. Uh yeah. and I was just like, damn, this is perfect. This is just the way I love it. So yeah, try some different stuff. You can always bring it over and make it work. Figure out what elements of any mechanic are mm-hmm. working for you. And if you can transpose them, that's great. I was testing this out with the skill challenges that we're using in our 5e game, which is they are not run the way that they were run in fourth edition. And they're not really run the way they are in savage worlds. I run, I ran them in a way that I think suits my group the Mm. best. And there the first iteration was okay. And you correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I thought the first foray through the woods went fine, but the one on the way out was, Oh, it was 10 times better. Because I just troubleshot, like, what was the problem? It was like, oh, I gave the players too much autonomy and gave them, um, you know, some examples, but they need kind of the stage set for mm-hmm. them a little bit more. And that'll vary from group to group. So uh, at something, it might just be an ad hoc thing that you, you do, like troubleshoot. But Matt bring up uh, brought up a great point, which is that's the whole benefit of like just play testing a rule set play a one shot with a group of of strangers or pop into a game shop or find some people on discord or your group maybe when a player can't make it everybody wants to play just try hey we're going to try this this rule set out right we're going to try this uh for one game and see how we like it see if we understand it and if we could it, it might suit and then you can take whatever campaign you have a long-running campaign that's 10 levels of Dungeons & Dragons could get transferred over to Savage Worlds, maintaining the same characters and transfer them over the same story, and you don't lose any progress, and it just it just kind of shifts the mechanics, and if it suits your game better, then, it, then it's going to go smoother from that point on. And uh, speaking of using other mechanics, there are some games out there, and this is... Uh, so the email that I was talking about earlier that I wanted to wait until next week... I don't know. Maybe it kind of fits into this because they were asking. Just read it, man. Okay. Come on. Why so you do it, but not read this it. one came from Andrew and he wanted okay. to know. So you guys speak of, a, of uh, I'm sorry. 
You guys speak of narrative design and storytelling throughout your games. What's wrong with actually just going in and running a dungeon every now and then where all we do is go in and kill some stuff, find some gold and level up. I find it a lot more fun to just go in and not have to worry about writing up a story and having to come up with new adventures every single week and other than just a dungeon delve. Am I wrong for this or is this something that you think I should actually try? There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what your players expect, that's what your players want. That's what your players have an appetite for. They don't really give a shit about the like kinds of characters they're playing. They're not interested in why the dungeon is there what you know the world is the political intrigue you just want to go in and smash some bad mm-hmm. guys if that's that's fun for you then great um if everybody is having a great time then there's no reason to change it if you suspect that you might want to endeavor to do that because it might be interesting to you then you know only you can really answer yeah. the questions uh yeah, like you said, you're, you're, he's not wrong, Andrew. You're not wrong at all. Uh, and maybe that's where you need to find that system that grabs at those grapes, man. Uh, like uh, third edition, so 3.5 especially. Um, because of the builds that you can make, it's mainly for making your character and the customization that you can do. And it's just for dungeon delving. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can find something that is just... This is what this game is made for, is to make your character however you want for the dungeon of this week. And it's totally cool. Like Dave said, if you're yeah. if that's what your players are into, fucking great. You're still being creative and you're making something. You're making a dungeon for them to go through. It's, it's more in line with kind of like a tabletop version of like Diablo or something. Yeah. It really isn't a lot of story, but if that's not what your players want, I, I would argue that maybe you're missing out on some some good opportunities, but if you're not a storyteller and your players don't come to the game for a story, they come to the game for just a straightforward game, more like a tabletop yeah. game, like a tabletop board Sit around, game. eat pretzels, drink beer, and roll some dice. I get the impression that uh, Mike is more that way. Mike would just be fine with just kind of mm-hmm. a tabletop... Uh, game where it's just you don't even there's no tavern scene there's no travel montage there's some players like they just start them at the beginning of the the dungeon delve and they're moving in there and they're they go in and they you know they're just trying to to kill the the big bad guy um it is more episodic you're probably not building on the uh the stakes but if your players don't care and they're not those style of players, I've hardly ever found an entire group of that style of players, but especially if you came up in like the second edition days, mm-hmm. that's mostly what D and D kind of was like. Oh, yeah. It was um, uh, more of a just straightforward dungeon crawling. And I, I like to include dungeon crawls in almost every adventure uh, to some capacity, but I also think that there's more catharsis of what that represents when there is some context to it and it's uh, the characters matter in some way, but you know, maybe you're not really into role playing per se. You're, you're into the tabletop mechanic strategy of it all. Great. Then just run with it. If you're, if no one's complaining, people are showing up and everybody seems like they're having a grand time the whole time. Don't fix what ain't broken. Yeah. 
yeah, I know that these days it is become like so many games coming out, even, um, you know, Wizards has come out talking about the uh, with the play test right now. They want to focus more on storytelling and all this other stuff. And that's what's just selling right now. A lot of gamers are looking for that that game uh, where narrative and storytelling is like the, the backbone of it. But in reality, I think all role playing games, the backbone is just whatever the fuck you want it to be. Really, if you have fun doing this, just do that, dude. It's totally cool. And you don't have to keep playing the newest system that's coming out. You can always just go back and play whatever the fuck you want. I know some people that still just play first edition right now, and they don't even use a D20. They roll a D6 for everything except for damage on their weapons. They use their actual weapon damage. But then other than that, one, two, three is a failure. Four, five, six is a success. And that's it. That's all they care about. Wow. And they love it. They think it's the greatest shit in the world. Yeah, because it's not you're not you're distilling it down to the essential components that you like i like the you know story aspect of it i'm a big fan of of film and and television shows and stuff like that and so incorporating elements like that into a game is intriguing to me because i like to tell stories and i like but if you don't like that, if you're if you're really as the game master, just the architect of the dungeon and the referee for the rules and the guy that runs the bad guys, that's fine. It's it's perfectly enjoyable, ran straightforward in that way. Maybe the characters never have in character dialogue. Maybe they they whatever. It's just you don't need to see that, and you just want to get to the the meat of of things, and it's uh satisfying to you in the own in your own right to make something that's challenging or not even challenging just fun for your players then then you don't need to push yourself most of the advice we give on this show are for people that look at it more like a story they look at it more like a um opportunity to develop a character mm. and that's really at least to me the heart of a role playing game you're playing a role but that role is a character but you could just play it. the role is the fighter yeah. right he protects the wizard from damage and there doesn't need to be any personality to that but um uh write us again and let us know if that's the style of game you run what sort of topics are more interesting for us to talk about if you're a listener you know like it, we're, we're kind of touching on a lot of this narrative stuff and it, maybe that isn't your jam what are what are some problems that you have in in that game without having to how can we help make that style of game better for you i don't imagine you're the only person that listens to this podcast that probably plays that style of game or maybe you are maybe if if we're always going on about narrative and stuff like that you might tune out after a few episodes (laughs) that he made me think of that that's why i thought about waiting until next week and we could talk a little bit more about it but fuck it you know and because also uh, our number one super fan, Rebecca, wrote in just being a total bitch because she just wrote in and said, why does Matt hate D&D? And I don't. I don't. How many times do I have to say it? I don't. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not as good as like some. Yeah, I just don't like to. He doesn't want to run, run D&D. D&D. Leaguer with yeah, I play D&D. I just don't like to run D&D. Fuck you, Rebecca. I know I, what you're doing. If I had to encapsulate what it is to answer that question simply. 
it's um it's like why do you hate the uh best friend trope in movies it's like well if you're the person that watches movies all the time and you get you see it in every other movie you get kind of beleaguered with it it's not necessary matt's been playing DD longer than he's been playing anything mm. and most of the people that want to play games with him probably want to play D D. And so he's just like, oh, I'm just kind of like past that. He, he thinks he's better than I, it is I what do. It is. He's 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 evolved. And for anybody out there that's listening and wonders, Rebecca's the one that sent me the fucking ICRPG rules in the first place <laughs> that made me fall in love with it. So fuck you, Rebecca. You're just trying to fucking start some shit. She's trying to stir some shit. I know it's like you really like that system now. And it's because of yeah. her. And she's like, why are you being a hater, bro? <laughs> she is. She's just trying to fucking ruffle some feathers and get some shit going. Sounds like it's working though, so that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, well, anything that gets you agitated, I'm usually happy. I'm usually the one ranting and agitated on this show. Eh, well, fuck it. Uh, but also speaking of narratives, you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna go back to narrative storytelling uh, because mm. I want to talk about incorporating backstories as well as uh, just extra character flavor into the game. Where uh, some of the games I was talking about that are becoming quite popular now backstory and character cues are actual mechanics in games now mm -hmm. and a lot of people want to know how to actually incorporate backstory into the game itself and to make it actually mean something instead of just giving actual flavor of course i think backstory dave remembers the days uh when we would play and i create a new character and i would write like literally three pages of backstory and I'd give it to Dave and he'd be like, Oh, cool. <laughs> All right, sweet. Here we go. It's just like, Oh, that's just the first part. Oh, and I got to get you some more. Cause that's my, that's my fucking jam. I love backstory elements and I love whenever the game master is able to bring them up in the game itself and that we can actually use them. I always try to bring at least a little sliver of something of a backstory into the campaign uh dave is there anything that you try to hit on with characters backstories when it comes to the game i have a variety of techniques that i use as the game master but as to like as a way to frame this discussion i guess what i'll say is this is a duty of both players and game masters yeah. uh a player might write a great backstory because they are interested in that and if you're a gm who doesn't necessarily require i made everyone write a damn backstory mm -hmm. for this campaign hell he, he wrote a and, fucking what was it? it was like a 30 question survey yeah something like that and i wanted everybody to have a backstory because sometimes players don't do that mm -hmm. but some it's equally disappointing if you take the time and effort to write a backstory as a player and your GM never really taps it in any way. So I have a variety of techniques that uh, both as a player and as a GM uh, kind of start with maybe some of the pillar ones as a GM to kind of tap some of your players' uh, backstories. Uh, the easiest one, I think, to do in terms of... The structure of the game because you don't want 
character backstory stuff to ever really distract from the flow of the plot. It, it should be parenthetical that contextualizes the plot, yeah. right? And the, and the characters within the dramatis persona of the adventure. And the reason that it should be important is that it should foster a sense of camaraderie among the party as well as camaraderie with the other NPCs so that when the inevitability of something dramatic happening in the adventure, that it, it has some punch to it. It has some sort of gravitas that that has the players invested. If your character is generic and weak and, and just a paper cutout, they're just interchangeable and, and the story won't be as engaging in the same way when you watch a movie, if you don't care about the main characters and you don't give a fuck what happens to them, you think they're assholes, you're not going to care if it, when the bad thing, and it was like, Oh no, his wife left him. <laughs> and, but the, to bring me back to originally what I was saying, the easiest way to do this is to have NPCs be curious about the PCs and just use them as a, a vehicle to ask questions of the PCs, if you have to push them a little bit, like make the, the NPC curious, not like they're interrogating the PC, but ask them questions that you would, uh, that you would probably ask uh, someone on a first date, mm -hmm. just general things about them. And generally if a character is thought of the player has thought about some backstory, they'll probably be eager to talk about it. And if they haven't, then it might actually force them into thinking about what that is. And, like what their element of their backstory is. And it has the added benefit of giving the NPC some sort of texture and they're forging a bond with this particular PC. It works best for NPCs that are uh, recurring. They're either in the party as an NPC or the PCs have frequent contact with them in some way, uh, especially if their goals are aligned they're likely to want to know what kind of person every given person in the party is. And so it's great for camp scenes, travel montages, uh, in and tavern scenes, fill in those empty spaces with an NPC, just making polite conversation about things that they wouldn't know about the character or, or skills or something that they've demonstrated, right? Where did you learn that? Were you going to, are you for you, you know, study that sword technique or or is there a specific school of magic that you're super keen on you know i'm a fighter i don't know anything about that sort of stuff it's intriguing or an interesting person you know that's a great uh and really easy way to kind of get backstory out of out of your pcs do you do that a lot in your i mean I, it seems like you. i do. do i do it a lot because like i said i love to bring in i just like bringing in little pieces of backstory into the actual adventure mm -hmm. or in, into the campaign itself uh using it i like to try to find a way for them to use it as a benefit uh right. so i'll always try to find at least a little piece that their past can be used to give them an advantage throughout some place and i don't just and unfortunately i've done this before in the past where i try not to do again matt is again raising his hand saying i fucked up before trying something uh focusing on one player's backstory and I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, making, giving them the spotlight, uh, making them mm -hmm. the star of this campaign pretty much and using their, it was all because they were the one that gave me like the most dense and best backstory. Uh, mm -hmm. So I use that one 
and it made a big uh, it just put the spotlight on them the entire time which was mm-hmm. not my intention i didn't mean to do it but it was what i had to work with and it backfired uh we need to start making a counter of every time i say shit backfires on me <laughs> you do it long enough and things are going to backfire it's how you mm-hmm. learn i think i i suspect that that was probably the impetus for us starting this podcast which is you know fuck we have some experience with this and there's no reason it should anybody getting into D nowadays should or role-playing in general would need 20 years of failures in order yeah. to like figure it out like benefit from from our experience and and take it for what it's worth but the another big thing that i'm a fan of uh is the use of uh memory yes and oh that's a big one i do love that typically what i'll do is i'll have uh again influence of film on the way that i look at things but i have a two different tactics one is more structured depending on the pc it could be more open or more structured so it's really easy to have a flashback or an open-ended thing where a pc comes into a a moment that has dramatic significance or a person an item that has dramatic significance in some way and so you what you do is maybe it doesn't directly relate to their past or the history but you tell them if they've given you a backstory already and it's well fleshed out pull from that as a way to tie it to whatever's happening in the dramatic moment they come across a battle scene and they're a soldier try pulling on that memory that it likely reminds them of the bloodshed that they've seen in the past and when you tell them that they're likely to it spark all kinds of like opportunities for dialogue with the other characters or or mannerisms that they're doing oh well i now i know that i i'm reminded of this it might not come to their character's mind initially you just know okay you're a fighter and your background is soldier so you come across a grisly battle scene talk about that use that moment to talk about it in evocative language uh get detailed about it and let them know that it reminds them of some particular scene that maybe they didn't maybe they did flesh out a little bit in their backstory or maybe they didn't you can fill in the blanks or conversely if it's not something super evocative like this maybe they meet some quirky person at a tavern or an inn or gambling with tell them this person reminds you of someone in your past and then ask who is it and how did that go? What are your, what are the feelings that are coming to your mind? We talked about this technique before. One is more open-ended and one is more structured. So the structured one, what it does is it anchors in the PC's mind. Oh, right. Like this is something that would I would probably react to because we're not in that world as PCs. We're not smelling the smells and seeing the thing. And we don't actually have the history of the character, but we do understand this concept when you, if, if you don't think it, try running into somebody, try running into a woman that wears the same perfume that your first girlfriend wore and you'll just mm-hmm. write back like you, and it will influence the way you, you interact with that woman. Like, because she just smells like your first girlfriend. 
and so use not just sights and memories, but, you know, sense of smell, sensibilities uh, to good effect. If you have to play it out like a scene, like a flashback in some way, you're giving the player information. But if they're a little more freewheeling, you can ask more of an open-ended question. Give them the, the topic and the topic matter and ask them a question and let them kind of paint the picture for you if they're a little more creative. Do you favor one or the other of those, or does it just depend on the player to you? Two? It depends on the player to me, really. Uh, but I did want to bring up that uh, you can use these mechanically. Like when I was doing a Savage Worlds game with a, it was a Rob, Big Nate, uh, Jason. I think it might have just been those three. But <clears throat> I had this mechanic for whenever they wanted to spend a Benny. Uh, it was called an echo. It was a memory that came up to them in their past that uh, they saw something happen. And then for those that don't know, in Savage Worlds, uh, you get these things called Bennies. You spend it and you get to re-roll anything. You can re-roll any roll. But what I had them do was anytime that they wanted to spend a Benny, they had to tell me what it was in their past that they saw at that moment at this role that they failed that they could correct. Uh, and it was kind of cool. They all fucking dug it a lot. They thought it was pretty cool to think of this reason. Oh, well, you know, it could have been as easy as Jason came up with as a kid. He would uh, uh, he would climb up walls and up on roofs and he just loved running across roofs. And he found uh, that uh you know, this trajectory and all this. So he failed on like an athletics role, wanted to uh, spend a Benny. Cool. Other one was Rob was talking about when he was a kid and something. Oh, God, I can't remember what it was. Something about like his scraped up knees and uh, how he would come home and his mother would always give him shit about his scraped up knees. So he learned to bandage himself. And that's how he learned like first aid. And I was like, that's brilliant. Great. Spend that Benny. And uh, so there are plenty of other ways. And I've been trying to find a way recently uh, because there's things in like uh, the game Fate. Uh, Fate is a very narrative driven game. But one thing is they have is they have aspects, which is all bits of your personality and bits of where you came from, where you say, I want to come about this aspect of when I was a child, I grew up in this city where our water wasn't so great. So I have an iron stomach of some sort. So it's like, all right, mm -hmm. cool. So you get a plus two to your role. Uh, I want to come up with something like that because I want a, I think that's one thing for me is I want to award a nice fleshed out backstory. So I want to give them like an advantage, some way of giving me, giving me, a good backstory other than just putting yeah, putting it into the story itself where it can become it's awarding for me like if my backstory ever comes up in the campaign i find that awarding enough i think oh sweet you know my it's hell recently with rob showing up a friend of mine from back in my past i think that's great that's awesome but i know that a lot of other players they want that they want that award they want that something that they can use from it so i'm trying to think of a good way to use that <clears throat> like especially with your ideals flaws bonds all that stuff so like you were saying with the soldier stuff your background already gives you a bonus of some sort it gives you a mm -hmm. feature but uh say with uh the soldier i don't know a lot of their i you know ideals bonds and all that uh but bonds uh i i can see the tactics in front of me 
or I can run the numbers quickly. If somebody came up to you and said, you know, I have an ideal like this or a bond like this, can I get a little bonus for this thing that we're going into? Would you ever think about saying, yeah, sure. <sighs> that's, um, that's a tough ask. I'm, I'm always very cautious of players gaming the system in any mm -hmm. way to try to, I do like to use backstory and, and stuff like that to reward the play. Have, have we been friends all this time? And I never noticed that you don't, you, you say award and reward interchangeably. Yeah, I do. Reward. You reward. The well, because players. there's an award and then there's reward. An award. an award is a gift where a reward is some for something that you did, but no, it's yeah, never mind. You, I don't fucking you, know. You, you you use them interchangeably. I do. I do you that a reward lot. players with an and with an award. Yes. Like yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it's possible that I would be open to that, but it really depends on what it is. Uh, the again, your background already gives you training and skills. Those are concrete mm -hmm. benefits. It already gives you a background feature. It gives you toolkits and languages often. Those are all concrete benefits to try to stretch those a little more. And I will say, are, technically, it's your your flaws, ideals, bonds, and all that. That's supposed to give you inspiration. If you play those right. out, that's supposed to give you inspiration. That's the mechanic of it all. That's what I was just going to say, that there's already mechanics for you embedding, making use of the ideals, bonds, and flaws, and what's the other one? Something else. Um, but those are good starting points, but... I don't know that I would consider those backstory. Those are personality traits, yeah. but they're they're rife with. Uh, hopefully, the, the the player has thought about the reasons that they have those ideals, bonds, and flaws. Especially a bond is is baked in, directly tied to the concept. It's a, a bond is something that ties directly to your past in some way, whether it's a family heirloom, whether it's a person, whether it's a boat that you served on, a castle you lived in it means that there is some tie to the past and you can pull at that thread to try to have the player illuminate why they forged this, this bond. I mean, the, the more obvious ones are bonds to people, you know, romantic encounters, mentors, stuff like that. But if it's an object or a place, try to figure out, try to tease out opportunities for those to be emblematic in some way of the the character's history and values and that kind of segues into my next point which is you can rather than making elements of an adventure generic locations items npcs try having them tie in some way to one or another of your character's histories you know there's no reason why you couldn't do that simply like especially if in the beginnings of a campaign is likely taking place in the, in the region where many of the characters have grown up in that area or at least in neighboring areas. So there's no reason why you couldn't tie certain things directly to the PC's backstory, get an idea of who the NPCs, the people and the places that are important to the NPC in just a general way and incorporate them. It kind of goes to my point when I was talking about, uh, random encounters well, several episodes ago now, but if the party encounters a random boule out in the wilderness, 
don't make that the first time that they're hearing about it. Have it have it be significant in some way, even just through the texture of the world and the rumors, then it will be a more heroic act than doing away with some it won't it'll feel like an achievement and not a hindrance that they defeated this bad guy. In the same way you can have NPCs don't necessarily need to be tied directly like oh this npc that is has this bit of information is the head of your old deeds guild or or your old mentor or whatever but there's no reason why if they run in the same circles they might not know or have heard about the pc in particular or maybe some people that the pc knows like oh yeah you know like i you know i sailed with your uncle or 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 you know i've heard uh x y or z legend about about your mentor or uh tell me is it true you know like the information travels and so if wizards are likely run with wizards that come from maybe a, a an academic school or the people in places that they are their stomping grounds any opportunity you have to incorporate that for one or the other of your pcs either directly uh, or indirectly by reputation or knowing uh, it's also a good way of showing the PC's um, journey, like up, like, you know, they're level one in their immediate region, but then maybe they sail across the seas or they, they go up into an airship into some cloud city or something at level 10 or 11 and people there have heard about their deeds and people there have heard about the people that they know and and you're more known and it shows that, you know, the the legend of your character is spreading farther into the world that's a really good way to illustrate that but um do you i i kind of often forget to do that to pull on that lever um in particular for uh like items or or you know i'm a little better about it with players or with npcs and stuff but do you do you pull that lever it's one i forget about a i lot. pull like that lever I, a lot actually that's yeah. one that i actually i fall that's one of my fallbacks uh that i go to quite a bit um I really use yeah no there's that is that's a that's another crutch actually that I would use uh mm-hmm. in anything else especially as the campaign progresses that's one that I fall back to quite a bit but uh yeah, again oh ahead. I wanted to ask you of uh, other games that we've played specifically we'll go to like vampire when we played vampire the importance of backstory in Vampire can be really important. Um, it is more of a narrative game, as mechanically heavy as it is. Like, it's a crunchy fucking game. It still is. Even in its fifth edition version, it's still fucking crunchy as hell. But uh, when it came to us, like, getting your sire, like, naming your sire, as well as because of the generation that you were you should have had some sort of knowledge of something that was going on when we first started playing vampire and getting into it when we actually started like really learning the rules what was it that you expected from us when it came to something like that where backstory was that important i strive for just having an understanding of who the person is that's in the game and why they are that way mm-hmm. people don't um randomly become a certain way they're almost always not almost always they're byproducts of their environment oh, yeah the reason i brought it up and, is because i remember I, I remember this is like 
I think our fourth or fifth characters in, you made it a big point of, is your sire alive? And if he is or isn't, I still want to know who they were, what they were, and what they imprinted on you, as well as if we decide to put points in generation. You're like, all right, so you are 10th, 9th generation. So you're probably at least 200 years old. What have you experienced in those like couple centuries? Like you were pretty, you were into it quite a bit. Because the first few times we played the game, it was like in particular, my brother's first character is like, oh, I'm going to pump all my background points into generation so I can be eighth generation. But then it was like, you don't really seem to have much of a history. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't detail anything about his sire. And it got to a point where it's like, you're supposed to be, you know, vampire, you're past the human age, you've lived a full life, but the characters just were feeling kind of flat and they didn't lack distinct personality traits. I never felt that way, but I didn't have much context and insight into why they are that Mm. way. Like how, and so it's, you know, all the rage the last few years that we are getting like backstories for villains. Like this is why the villain is the way it is. And I don't necessarily need that for a villain, but I do want it for a protagonist and I don't need it spelled all the way out, but you can do a lot with very little. Uh, Hell, a character doesn't even need to say anything if a dialogue within the context of a scene, if you contextualize for them what they're likely thinking or feeling in the wake of some sort of scenario that is reminiscent of the past and the other players hear that too and the player playing the character in question doesn't need to have some big declaration of x y or z they might just make a subtle comment they might not even say anything they might just say all right well this is going through my head i kind of sigh heavily and like withdraw from the group a little bit and you know look at the ground and get quiet it's like that says a lot and especially given that the other players and everything heard you say what was going through their head now they have information they know why the character is behaving that way and it's an opportunity for some role playing maybe they could pick at that with their fellow party member and engage them in some sort of conversation where the pc in question might be a little more explicit maybe they just leave them the fuck alone for the time being and deal with them differently it it changes the inter-party dynamics where you're traveling with somebody you're fighting bad guys you're undergoing trauma you're likely to pick up on the mannerisms and stuff of your uh, cohorts in your group Mm -hmm. and so if you pick up on those things it governs how you interact with them and you only pick up with on those things by having them contextualized into like how they got to be the person that's in your adventuring party to begin with very good. Very good. I think that's going to be a podcast for this week. Uh, unless you got anything to end us up with, Dave? No, I mean, that's kind of the main, you know, I, like tying NPCs, the ones that you introduce into their history. Same thing with locations, making it personal or reminiscent of the past. Flashbacks, the NPCs asking questions. Um, and there's also another kind of probed way you can... Uh, if you notice an end, a, a player character has a certain habit, uh, they use a certain phrase or they 
do a certain thing. Uh, maybe they're always rolling an, a coin mm-hmm. across their knuckle or something. You, you could sometimes have NPCs or just prod at them to kind of like, well, where did you acquire that habit? Why did you do that? Like, why do you, um, and it maybe could add, it doesn't, that doesn't need to be fleshed out. Sometimes those are just quirks. Like who knows why we use the words that we use when we speak. Right. But um, that would be kind of like the final, like minor one that I, I think is, is probably an easy, it's easy, as easy as the NPC thing. And so if you're not up to the task of, of the other kind of maybe a little more complicated ways in which we advised you to do that, then maybe that's an easier way too that you could tease it out. I like that. Bringing in the NPCs to help flesh it out is always a good thing. Uh, we've done that a few times, and I think it's actually been pretty good, actually, uh, other than every now and then during, uh, I know we've talked about in the past episodes of during travel, you just ask, mm-hmm. you know, hey, while you're traveling, this topic comes up. Tell us a little bit about this in your life. And that's always kind of cool. It kind of brings it up and just brings some flavor in. Or it adds on top of a backstory that they were not able to completely finish. It's Because it, most of the drama of an adventure is action, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But presumably the players do things a certain way. So their actions should be revealing. And there's nothing wrong with every now and again trying to contextualize the the actions that they do, why they, whatever. Try to ask them a little bit about how they do certain things, right? Like how, you know, you're, you're bathing, you're, how do you draw your sword? Like describe it a little bit for me. And because you don't need to necessarily have a lot of exposition as to like what kind of character they are what their backstory is but you can get an idea of what kind of person they are by by how they strut like how they enter a room how they what words they don't say like when Mm -hmm. do they get silent when do they these are all actions and so they're much better it's the whole show don't tell and you can just tell show what kind of person they are and that should be informed a little bit by their backstory if you if you ask for those micro details on like how a pc does something in particular you could it gives the the player an opportunity to think about okay here's my backstory and here's like how would i approach this like how how do the things that are in my character's backstory that maybe never really come up this one little action is kind of the tip of the iceberg and when you do that enough you cobble together like what kind of person we do this every day when we see people we size people up based on how they do their hair how they talk how they walk how they dress all reflections of who they are and we thin slice what sort of person they likely are based on that we don't know their history but we know a little bit about them and that's a great way to not get bogged down into the whole like you know here's an entire essay about my character and i just tell Mm -hmm. it to the party or or going on these long-winded things that distract from the action of the game it keeps it it keeps it kind of alive and it keeps it paced well but it also gives some texture and then you know everybody else is more likely to, to have a little more fun they're able to see their their fellow adventurers in their head a little better like how they move and how they talk and and if they do, then they'll they'll 
think of them as a more lively character and it'll it'll amp up the stakes and the drama of the of the adventure consequently well there you go kids i think that's gonna bring us to an end of this episode here uh if you want please write us at inside the gm studio at gmail.com we'll read your emails just like we did earlier and how i told rebecca to go fuck herself for being an asshole yet again or if you want, you know, come in and watch us do our live stream on twitch.tv slash inside the GM studio uh, every Sunday, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern. Come and just come and say hi. Speak in the chat. Maybe we'll answer your question. But for this week, for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, Matt. And I am David. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>